Kim, this is amazing. I'd like to say good afternoon to each and every one. My name is Elizabeth. My anonymity has been shot to hell for quite a while. Uh, But I do stand before you the most definite and grateful alcoholic that you ever laid your eyes on. Hi, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the committee, all of the committee, for all those who have voted for me to be here today. It's such an honor and privilege when I'm asked to share my strength, my hope, and my experience with you. I'm highly emotional at this point for the fact that so many of my friends that I haven't seen in 20 years or 30 years are sitting in this auditorium today. And if you don't call that mind-blowing, what is? And um, I want to thank Rosemarie from out in Long Island. She has been a living doll in my life. And uh, she ought to be sick of hearing me. And if I ever get caught that I can't speak, I'm sure she can do my story very well for you. <laughs> but she is a living doll. Um, Tom and all of you, I can't start to name names because I would be running into trouble. Uh, I want to thank Bill for his phone calls. And I thank him for picking me up at the airport. And any convention that I go to and anybody picks me up at the airport, like I just finished Georgia last week, I said, I'm ready for Georgia. Now, I got to tell you, I'm ready for Florida, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I stay ready. The motor stays running. Thank God. Um, I don't think I've left anybody out, but I thank Brooklyn for being here. I thank Jersey for being here. I thank Manhattan for being here. Uh, I've got three or four of the boroughs. And Staten Island, I don't know if you're here, but Staten Island. Oh, we got one from Staten Island. Uh Uh, Where's that? Oh, Elmont Belmont. That's only up the street from me, down the road a piece. I wouldn't want to walk it, though. (laughs) From where I live, but it's nice to be with you. Uh Oh, I think I've covered most of the boroughs. Oh, the Bronx. Is the Bronx here, too? Great. There is five boroughs, and I think we got them all. I want to thank Sonny for last night. Uh, He had such a... And it was a pleasure meeting his beautiful wife. And he doesn't know how lucky he is, do he? You better pinch yourself a couple of times. But that is much happiness to both of you, really. And it was a pleasure meeting her again. She remembers me from Buffalo. See, I don't remember half the people because I'm on the go so much. But I thank you for remembering me from Buffalo. Um, there was a minister preaching. And he says, if you drink alcohol, you're doomed to die. And a little old lady down front, she said, amen. He said, now, if you smoke those cigarettes, you're doomed to die. And the little old lady, she said, Amen. He said, now, if you chew tobacco, she said, look at that. He's done stopped preaching and gone to meddling. (laughs) So I'm going to go to meddling. You know, the truth hurts us, but the truth will set us free. Yes, it will. Now, watch me, honey. I don't have a revival up here instead of an AA meeting. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm the oldest of five children. I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Manhattan on 163rd between Amsterdam and Edgecombe. I lived directly in front of Mother Cabrina Hospital. My dad was a pitiful drunk. I'm not allowed to call anyone an alcoholic but myself. 
And I used to grieve about my dad's drinking. I'd see the policemen beating with the bullies and the blood would spatter. I've watched neighbors hit him with frying pans and the blood would spatter. I'm ever grateful that I was in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous when my dad hung himself out at Central Islip Hospital. I've never seen my mom pick up a drink in my entire life. And Tom and all of you used to remember me saying it, and I still don't take it back. I was always wishing that I could give her two lousy drinks and bring her to hell into this program. She could have used the whole 12 steps and the whole 12 traditions. Believe me. My mom passed away five years ago, three days short of being 95 years old. So you know she had a beautiful life. My mom made my first drink. I was 12 years old. She made rice wine that she received the ingredients from the wealthier, such as rice and raisins and oranges. And she left myself and a little girl named Marion to sieve this rice wine through cheesecloth. And I'm going to show you the difference. Marion sieved and sipped two lousy drinks, and she went to hell on home. But you see, I sieved and sipped. And I sieved and I sipped. I'm only 12 years old, and I'm sieving and sipping. And I'm sieving and sipping. And I put on a drunk at 12 that was a drunk. And my mother lectured to me all night long. And I went out in the street the next day shaking myself and telling my friends what a ball I had. I don't even remember what the hell happened. But that began to be the pattern of my life. If you didn't drink to get drunk and pass out, you weren't saying too much for me. At the age of 14, I began to sell King Kong booze. And I want you to believe it was King Kong. It stood you straight and it knocked the hell out of you, too. And, you know, I bought it from the man who made it in the bathtub in his first floor apartment. And I bought it by the gallon, and I was selling it for 40 cents a cream pitcher. Now, someone suggested that I take mayonnaise, olive oil, butter, and cream. You know how to even tell you to eat a good meal. Line yourself up, Liz. Well, that King Kong was so powerful, it went all through the mayonnaise, the olive oil, the butter, the cream. So I stopped taking that sick stuff. And I drank me plenty of booze. I made good money. I put a better food table for my family, and I put little shoes on my brother and sisters. Well, one morning, I was laying out the window. I live one flight up, and I see this sharp dude just tipping on down the street. I almost fell out the window. He was so sharp. Boy, was he sharp. And, you know, I, I tell you, I saw this roll of money. And I said, oh, my God, I got a live one. You know, I was always looking for a live one, you know. I look for the live ones in AA, too. Don't give me no deadheads in AA. I don't, I don't deal with no deadheads in here. Mm-mm. No. I look for those people in AA who are going and giving and doing. Those are the ones. And I'm sorry I haven't dealt with senior citizens yet. Put a yet at the end, because I'm not going to die for that 50-cent lunch. I'll tell you the truth, you know. And... and I deal with the young people in AA. I really love young people. And young people seem to gravitate towards me, too, which is so beautiful. But I latched on to this guy because I saw this roll of money. And then after I latched on to him, I found out it was a $5 bill around a lot of ones. But I latched on to him anyway, and I started from uptown Manhattan to the Lower East Side. Now, I'm 14 years old. I'm drinking. I'm partying. I'm hanging out. And I asked my mother one night, would she sign for me to marry this man? And I said, because he's 10 years older than myself. And she says, oh, no, dear. Over my dead body. That man will have you out in the street, and you'll live a terrible life with that man. And I found out something about myself at the age of 14. 
don't you ever, but never, tell me what not to do. No, no. There's something in my nature when you tell me what I can't do, I'm going to do it if I have to pay all the prices. I've paid a hell of a lot of prices. I have stayed in Alcoholics Anonymous because everything has been suggested to me. No one has ever told me what to do in AA. And so I quit school at 14, and I left New York with this man when I was 17 years old, and we went to Baltimore, Maryland on January 3rd, 1939. At 10 o'clock in the morning, I was standing in the courthouse crying my heart out, and the minister stopped my ceremony, and he said, my dear young lady, would you mind just telling me what you're crying about? I said, well, at last I got him. Well, I'm going to be honest with every one of you. That was the sorriest day of Mr. Bailey's life when he said, I do, to Liz Ulrich. Mr. Bailey never stopped crying from January 3rd, 1939, till he went home with the Lord, August the 12th, 1986. That was a sorry day for that man. Now, I came back home with that marriage license, and the marriage license meant to me, no more mama, no more neighbors, nobody's going to tell me how to live. I done got this cat, whoo, and I'm going to paint New York red. I'm 71 now. Could you picture what I was at 17? Woo! I come back to New York, I'm going to tear up New York, because I don't have nobody to cowhand to. I done got this cat. Well, I got to tell you, my husband gave up every liquor joint. He gave up gambling. He gave up hustling. And he gave up going to parties. And he sat down. And I became a mental case at the age of 17. Because here I am, raring to go, and this cat is sitting. And he sat from January 3rd, 1939. <laughs> So he went home with the Lord, August the 12th, 1986. And I could not take that sitting down. No, no sense in me telling you I could. I started nursing my little drink through the week. I began looking forward to weekend drunks. And now I watched a change come over me. I began to curse. Every word came out of my mouth was a curse word. I watched another change come over me. I began to fight everything and everybody. I watched another change come over me. I began to leave my house. I never called it a home. There was no love there. Yes, girls, I had every material thing any girl would want on this earth. Mr. Bailey happened to be a furrier. And every time I had a period of dryness, he'd make me another fur coat. I had coats like beans, I'll tell you, because I had dry periods there at times. One year, he made me the most gorgeous leopard coat you ever laid your eyes on, through a party for the job, even. He brought the coat home, and he threw it out on the bed. I looked at the coat, and I hated it. I gave it away to another drunk, and I hated it because it was leopard, and I said he made it so he could spot me anywhere. <laughs> Poor man never went around the corner to look for me, and I don't blame him because I didn't know what corner I was swinging myself, you know. But again... I kept drinking. I stayed on my knees to Mr. Bailey an awful lot. Daddy, please forgive me. I don't want to drink like this. I don't want to act like this. 
And then when I would wake up where I didn't know where I was half the time, the guilt and the remorse would just about kill me. Because here I've done it again. I've done it again. And I had three beautiful children that my neighbors took care of. And everybody was always pulling me up on the carpet. And I used to say they were lying on me. How could they say I did this? How could they say I did that? I had to get sober to realize that they weren't lying on me. And I continued to drink. I woke up one morning with such a bad head. And I took Anisons and BCs and I took all kinds of raw egg and the beer. And I did everything to try to straighten my head out. And I couldn't get my head straightened out. And I reached over on my night table and I grabbed my Bible. I thought maybe I could find the answer in the Bible, how to straighten this rotten, filthy life of mine up. Because now I'm being beaten to a pulp in the streets of New York where I can't come out of my house for two and three weeks at a time. I'm beaten so bad. I'm beginning to even hit the hospitals with broken fingers and third-degree burns. Girls, don't ever fry a frozen chicken drunk. Don't do that. I did. And um, and, try, and the good sisters now began to hit Mary Immaculate Hospital all the time. And they're bandaging me up and patching me up continually. And they're saying to me, Mrs. Bailey, will you please come to the alcoholic clinic on a Tuesday morning? It went in this ear and out that ear. And one of my neighbors, this particular morning that my head was really bad, uh, and I grabbed that Bible, Mr. Bailey passed my room and he says, Put that Bible down, you hypocrite. Put it down. Twenty minutes to an hour, you'll be so drunk, you'll be slapping one of the kids down, you'll be hopping a cab, or you'll be swinging a corner. Well, let me tell you something. The cab drivers used to beg me to please take somebody else's cab. It took me three days to clean up my cab behind you. Or I would be taken. I didn't want to know who the hell did he think he was. I paid 50 cents to get in that cab. Don't tell me who to take. And I'd be swinging a corner. Mr. Bailey kept his mouth going. And I remember begging him so many times, Daddy, don't argue with me when I'm coming off a drunk. Try to keep your mouth shut when I'm coming off a drunk. But he kept his mouth going this particular morning. And I ran and I jumped up into the second floor window because I'm going to take my life now. I want out. I'm sick of this life. And just as I went to throw my body down into the yard, there's a little lady named Nana Backer standing in the yard. And she's screaming, Mr. Bailey, Mr. Bailey, you better get her. She's going to jump. And his head comes out the second window and his hands come out like this. And he says, Nana, will you let that bitch jump? I'll be rid of all my problems and all my troubles. Let that bitch jump. Well, you know, I looked over at him and I wanted to know who the hell did he think he was. I got down out of that window, got back into that bed, and I pulled the sheet over me and slept that one off, you know. And one of my neighbors pulled me up on the carpet. She says to me, I'm very much ashamed to live next door to somebody like you. She says, I bought this house to get away from people like you. She said, would you mind telling me just what's the matter with you? You're dropping out of cabs. You got the records blasting at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. You're fighting. You're cursing. And I says, oh, Jim and Lee, I suffer with my nerves. And she suggested that I drink rum. Isn't that nice? I left her standing in that little bitty kitchen. I lived in Jamaica, Long Island. I ran around to the Empire Liquor Store and I bought a bottle of rum. I'm still waiting for one of you drunks to tell me 
how in the hell did I wake up in Brycliffe, New York, with that bottle of rum? I don't know how I got to Brycliffe, New York. But a beautiful lady named Wig took me in off the streets into her home up there in Brycliffe. And here's where I became a booze fighter. I'd put a shot in my coffee in the morning, calling it Coffee Royal. I would hide the lousy bottle. I don't care where I hid it. I found it because I didn't want it to leak. Jesus, don't be leaking, you know. And then every time I found it, I took a swig. So by the time the lady came home from work, I'd be burping and burping, and the poor soul didn't know what to do for me. And she sat me down by the fire one night, and she said, you know, Liz, you're a lovely person. She said, but drinking is your problem. She said, I put my husband out of here for his drinking. And she lectured me, and she lectured me for the longest. And I decided I'm going to sit in a Catholic church all day, just so I don't pick up a drink that I can peel this lady's potatoes and at least get her dinner started to do a decent thing. Well, I did. I sat in the church all day to 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock, I walk out of the church right straight into a bar, and I say to the bartender, may I have a drink because I'm going to peel this lady's potatoes tonight and get her dinner started. May I have a drink to relax? I have to relax to get this dinner started. Then that's the second drink. The third drink they gave free. I don't believe you should ever walk out on a free drink. That's not nice. No, you just don't do that. Not when I drank, you didn't do that. And then you have to buy one back to look good, because it's very important that I look good. I don't know about anybody else. And by the time I got to the fourth or the fifth drink, to hell with her and her potatoes, let's roll. So you know the lady never got any potatoes from me. How many parties and things had I always started to have? I'd go out and buy all the liquor, the food, and everything, and sit it on the floor, and go up to the bar just to have a drink, and I never showed up for my own parties. Everybody would be there, but not Liz, because my party was never over once I picked up that drink in that bar. And of course, now I came back to New York because my little girl wouldn't eat, and my neighbor had my baby at that time. She was two. And Mr. Bailey, if I wanted to get in, I always had to come in fighting. If I came in nice, you'd see him throw me out the front door in brown bags and shopping bags. And now I'm sleeping in unfinished basements. And people are screaming at me, don't drink down there and don't smoke down there. And of course now, Mr. Bailey came to me one day and he said to me, you're the nicest wife when you're sober. Drunk, you're a Jekyll and a Hyde. Why don't you try this AA? When you desire a drink, run over to the phone, pick up the phone, and call someone to talk you out of the drink. Uh, I'm not going into the flowery words of what I said to Mr. Bailey, because cursing is my character defect. And I can't tell you I'm perfect in that department, but like it says, I have progress to do better. I'm very much aware that it's not necessary to use low profanity up here to carry a message. I'm very much against that. Maybe because it's my character defect. But again, you know what I told him to do with AA, don't you? Yes, yes you do. Okay. Yeah. So he walked away from me because Dr. Graniger had said to him, I want you to go home and tell Mrs. Bailey she's going to drink herself to death. She'll drink herself into a mental institution. Or she will drink herself into Alcoholics Anonymous. And once you tell her that, keep your big mouth shut and take care of Mr. Bailey. 
Praise the Lord and hallelujah and amen. The man never, but never mentioned AA again to me. Ooh, am I glad for that for so many 24 hours. Because if he had to beat me with AA, I don't think I'd have ever made it to these doors. And that's why AA says attraction, not promotion. Because I know about six months ago I was coming out of Jersey City, a meeting, and this guy ran behind me. Lady, lady, I said, what's the matter with you? He said, I want what you got. I want what you got. I said, man, go back in that room. Stay in those rooms if you want what I have. And he went on, because it's attraction, not promotion. And so again, Mr. Bailey didn't talk to me again, as I said, but I went eight to ten months. I haven't been able to really pinpoint it, but I've watched myself going down. And I remember this is going to be my last drink that I tell you about. I'm drinking with hard two-fist drinkers in the VFW Hall on 110th and Merrick Road. I could never stand anybody who picked up a drink and went home. See, I pick up a drink, I leave home. I don't stay because I have to drink in peace. And this lady, I hadn't seen Miss Lindbaum since I was eight years old. And I really wanted to see her. It was in July. I straightened up and uh, left the dusting even to last. I made salads. And the phone rang. And it was one of the gentlemen from the post. And I heard his voice and I banged the phone. And he called me back the second time. And I said, please don't bug me. There's a lady coming here. I haven't seen her since I'm eight years old. I really want to see her today. Because, see, I know me now. Once I pick up that drink, forget it. I don't know what's happening behind. And uh, I banged the phone up on him the second time. I remember going around the corner to the store. And when I came back, he was on the phone for the third time. He said, Liz, would you do me a favor? Hop a cab. I'll introduce you to the people, I'll put you back in the cab, and I'll send you home to your company. I figured, let me do that, because he's going to run me up a wall today. He's not going to let me stay here. I got in the cab, and I got over to the post, and the booze started lining up, and the jukebox is going, and I'm singing, you always hurt the one you love, the one you don't want to hurt, and I'll give me another drink, and I'll smile if you're happy. I could sing them a weeping Harry songs, you know. Well, as I said, I'm 71, and I haven't seen Miss Lindbaum to yet. <laughs> I forgot what the lady even looks like, to tell you the truth. And I woke up in one of my son's twin beds. My second son was putting the pan down for me. He always had that ready for me. And he always nursed me back with soups and salads, because I didn't eat when I drank. And I look up, laying in his bed, and here's my mother at the foot of the bed and Mr. Bailey. And my mom is screaming to the rooftops that somebody's done done something to her. Somebody's done done something to her. And I look over at Mr. Bailey, and he's got his head going. And he's saying, no, mom, no, mom, nobody has done anything to her. She happens to be a very sick Girl, he didn't call me bitch. You know my name is bitch. But he said I was a sick girl. I got up out of that bed, and I went to the basement of that house, and I stayed in the basement for two days praying to die. I wanted out. I wanted out. And my oldest son, 12 years old, was sitting there, and I said to him, Richard, I'm going to go up on the Long Island Railroad. I'm going to jump in front of a train. 
and I'm just going to end it all. Look at this. You can't depend on me for anything. And I started to scream in, oh, God, oh, God, please help me. I have never screamed to God so as I did that night in that basement. And if you don't believe God, aunt, don't answer. I'm a living proof of it. Because something spoke to me just like I'm speaking to you. Try this AA that your father has told me about. And I took the telephone book down. I called up AA. They didn't have anyone to send me at that time. And I got myself together and I went into Manhattan at 28th Street and Lexington Avenue. One flight up over a bar was intergroup. And I said, the hell with AA, and I started into the bar. Then I said, no, try to get up those stairs again. It was a long flight of stairs. Eve might remember that. And here again, as I got into the middle of the landing, getting ready to go down into the bar, a lady looked down the stairs. Here's the higher power working again for me. And he, she says, are you having trouble? And I said, yes, ma'am. Because I was. I was having trouble getting up that flight of stairs. And I ran up the stairs to her. She escorted me in the front part of the office. And she sat me down. And she started to tell me about her life. <gasps> oh, my God. I got goose pimples and chills. I started to fall off the chair. Who talks about themselves like that? Oh, my mother said put that in a closet. Put it under a rug. Open a drawer and shove it in a drawer. But don't go out and tell anybody where you got the black eyes, the bloody mouths, and all the scars that I even have. But I could identify with her because that was me sitting there with all the scars and the fights and whatever. And so she says to me, you know, Liz, it's the first drink. I says, oh, come on, sweetie. I've been drinking for 19 years. She said, Liz, when you pick one drink of any type of alcohol, it is only a matter of time that a compulsion sets up into you that you have to go all the way. Oh, did she make sense to me? I've seen myself take two drinks on a Monday. Great. Two lousy drinks on a Tuesday. You're looking for me. Wednesday, I'd go to Gert's department store and buy a fifth. I drank the whole fifth. Nothing happened. I found a brand that I can drink. I ran back there Thursday and got me another bottle. Friday, I'm knitting without needles. Have any of you knitted without needles? But I'm walking up and down, and I'm knitting. And I'm on my knees bringing up that green bile. But I've got to go get that drink to get me back in focus. And she said, we do it one five minutes, one ten minutes, one hour, one day at a time. We do it with meetings, 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 meetings. And we do it with a sponsor. And there's no excuse today for no one not having a sponsor out of two and a half million people or more. See, when I came in, there weren't that many. But yet and still, I picked a tough sponsor. And she gave me two groups. And I said, well, I'll take St. Benedict's. My children go there. And I said, oh, so what? If the priests see you, he must know you need help. So I walked into my first AA meeting. And... Two girls behind the coffee counter, I'm only mimicking them, I'm not making fun of them, said to me as they looked at me walking towards them, I was 31 years old, and they looked at me and they said, you don't look like an alcoholic. I said, now what the hell did I get myself into? 
and let me get the hell out of here. And I started running out of that room. And when I came to AA, they kept two people at the door. And, yes. And I'm going to tell you why they were at the door. That was the last resort for me. We did not have detox units that you have today. We had no halfway homes that you have today. There was no place else for me to go. And you got to remember, nobody wanted to be bothered with a drunk. I've had my neighbors cross on the other side of me, straight from getting away from me. Don't invite her anyplace. That hurts. But I didn't know how sick I was. And so here again, when I started out the door of that meeting, a hand hit me over here on the shoulder. And this man said to me, what's the matter with you? Where are you going? I said, those girls said I don't look like an alcoholic. I don't know what an alcoholic looks like. But I'm about to lose my mind, my home, my children, and everything through drinking. He said, have a seat, sweetie. You're in the right place. (laughs) And they put two tables together that night, and they each sat around, and they shared their strength, their hope, and their experience with me. It's but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Alateen, Alatot, OA, GA, PA, NA, EA, FA. The only A that I have turned down speaking to is SA, and that's Sex Anonymous in Seattle, Washington. I refuse to have my sex life on that tape coming across this United States, okay? Because <laughs> I still have a family. July the 11th, 1952, July the 11th, 1992, I just celebrated 40 years away from my ministry. And just think, I didn't do it alone. We can do together what I could never have done alone. Never. And I'm going to start to tell you a few minutes about my teachings. They taught me not to stay sober for anyone but for myself. Not for your mother, because if I had to stay sober for my mother, I'd have been drunk, drunk, drunk. My mother did not like me telling you I was an alcoholic. She'd rather call me, good morning, Reverend Bailey, how are you? And where are you speaking at next, Reverend Bailey? It took my mom 29 and a half years of my sobriety to tell me, stay with them A's, whatever they are. (laughs) So that is to give all of you hope if your loved ones are fighting you. Stay with these A's, whatever they are. Believe me. Mr. Bailey couldn't stand me sober. He didn't like the new Liz. And Mr. Bailey took my first 10 years, and he tried everything in his power to get me back into the streets of New York. I didn't come into AA through a bedroom. I came in through the streets. I was drinking with the guys in the back of the barbershop, on the corner, on the park benches, up and down the street. Wherever there was a drink, that's where I was at. So thank God for AA. I've thanked God so many times that I've lived in the day and time of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thirty years ago, I had the honor and privilege of speaking for our late co-founder Bill Wilson's anniversary. 
at the Hotel Commodore. Eve might remember that, too. There was 2,700 people there that night. I had invited Mr. Bailey to sit on the dances with me. He told me to get myself another husband for that night. And the girl says to me, you're going to ask him again? I said, no, I'm the speaker. <laughs> and so he came, and he shook my hand. But as I arrived back at the house, he asked me to please leave him, that he couldn't tolerate me and this sobriety another minute. Well, I'll tell you what I used to do when I came into AA with his approval. I would bring the drunks to my home. I would lay the drunks on my living room couch. I wouldn't take my clothes off with you for three to four days at a time. You were in my home with my children. I didn't know whether you'd go into a convulsion or not. And I took care of my children. I took care of the drunk. And I made seven meetings a week and three times on Sunday. And then I picked a tough sponsor that when I would whine and complain to her, she would say to me, listen, Liz Bailey, AA don't need you, but you need AA. <laughs> I would cry. And then I'd whine and complain to her again. And she'd say, sit on the pot or get up off it. And she never said it that nice. And I'd, <laughs> I'd cry some more. And I'm, she was my sponsor for 28 years before she went home with the Lord. But again, I worked very hard. You know, when I came to AA, we didn't have the foam cups. We had china cups. In every group, we washed china cups. We were so grateful for anyone to allow us to come into their churches or wherever, and we respected the places that allowed us to come in. And I hope that you all will do that. Yes. Respect it. And I worked very hard with alcoholics. I opened up a club 26 years ago. The Spirit of the Lord guided me right to a place. I went to the place. I know they looked at me like I had 12 heads. But I opened up the ICANN Club in Jamaica. The ICANN Club now is 26 years old, still saving drunks. And I've opened up four groups in my sobriety. The Spruce Group, the um, Today Group, uh, St. Albans Group. And there's another group. I reopened the South Jamaica group with my fourth anniversary. And, of course, now I have three children. And when I got to three years of sobriety, I found out I was having an AA baby. And uh, she's 36 years old now, bless her heart. Uh, my oldest son, I did leave Mr. Bailey. I want you all to know that. I left him in, sitting in a $60,000 house. At that time, you've got to remember, that was a lot of money. But um, I left him there, and I moved to a room, room and kitchenette. But I've tried to keep a nice friendship with Mr. Bailey all along, and I did go back last six years ago to take care of him in his last days. And he was very happy. And girls, don't ever give up, because he asked me to take his hand in the hospital. He says, you know, Liz, I would have died a long time ago if you hadn't come and fed me every day. And I'd dry shampoo his hair, and I'd lotion him down, and took him flowers. I took little mascots to watch over him when I wasn't with him. And because I've told you all for many years how many, much I love Mr. Bailey. He kept the house. He kept the kids. He kept everything together while I was in the streets of New York. And so I was so privileged to go and make his last days that happy. And he says, take my hand, Liz, because I really love you. And I jumped to the ceiling in the hospital. I said, it took me 47 years to get it, girls, but I got it. You see? And it's okay. Today I'm back into the home, and it is a home, 
and I have to say something nice to you. I was out of that home for 24 years, and today being back in there is paid for. Isn't that nice? Uh -huh. See? Yeah, it's paid for. And I'm in it. And whenever I'm in it, I do enjoy it. But you drunks keep me on the road a lot. And it's okay. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. It's added to my life, so I can never explain it to you. I have an older son, that same son that I told that I was going to take my life. He's spoken to me three times in 40 years. And the three times that he has spoken to me has been nasty. And he let me know that he would never forgive me or forget me for my past. And you know, I had to come into AA and forgive myself for my past. I was ignorant as far as alcohol and alcoholism was concerned. And I found that God in AA it took me five years. But I found a higher power here, whom I choose to call God, who has forgiven Liz Bailey 70 times 7. So any man, any woman, any child want to hold my past over my head, I must let it be their problem. That is not my problem. I love Richie. One day I believe Richie's going to knock on my door, and I'm going to welcome him in, and I'm going to throw that cat a party. The only thing I'm not going to do is put a diamond on his fingers. Because he's not that much prodigal. I know where the hell he is, you know. <laughs> See? I had another beautiful son that was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And I used to say to Dennis, Dennis, the right road may be hard, but you'll be the winner. The easy road, the price is heavy. Dennis was shot and killed June 25th, 22 years ago, at 2 in the morning. Again, I thank God that I was in AA. Six weeks after Dennis was shot and killed, my sister, beautiful sister, I had talked her out of a suicide once. I couldn't talk her out this second one. She went into Manhattan and jumped 30 floors. Right behind her, I thought my life was almost a soap opera there one time. All the tragedies that were happening to me, one right after the other. And the other one was a nephew, 26 years old, shot and killed on Amsterdam Avenue. About six months ago, a handsome cousin of mine from Connecticut, who was too smart for AA, he didn't need AA, he didn't need us. Somebody beat him to death in between some buildings in Connecticut. I've gone up and had eight operations in 22 years. I've been to death's door eight times. I let every doctor know that I'm an alcoholic, that they don't give me anything. I don't eat food that's cooked in alcohol. I'm very careful with my sobriety. My sobriety is the key to my life. As a drunk, I am nothing, and as a drunk, I have nothing. I must always remember that. And so I went up and had three operations in six weeks. The doctor says, you have cancer. I'm going to give you six months to live. I said, you don't talk to me like that. I'm in a fellowship that teaches me I live one day at a time. I'm now 25 years an arrested cancer patient, and you can see my motor still running. You know, I've never had a car in my whole sobriety. I hop buses and subways and trains and planes, and every night a different white dude picks me up. And my neighbors say, oh, my God, from a drunk to this, what is she putting down? But I thank God today I know what I'm putting down. You know, there was a time I couldn't tell you what I was putting down. But today I can. So I ask you young people when you complain about going to meetings, what's your problem? Because if I'm 71 and still hopping trains and planes and buses and subways, what is your problem? That you can't get to a meeting. 
And you know, one hour and one hour and a half saves your life. Look at the hours I wasted in the bars and waking up where I didn't know where I was half the time, being beaten. And so again, I have a beautiful daughter named Judy. I stopped drinking when Judy was five years old. Judy doesn't remember me as a drunk. Oh, thank God for that, because she would whip me to death with it. Judy has had five mental breakdowns, and she's just coming out of her fifth. And I must say, thank God I'm sober, that I can bring her home with me each time, and that I can help her go back out to her job, to her home, and to her children. I raised her two children for four years in my 60s. And I was asking you all, how did Sarah have a baby at 90? Because I was having a hell of a job in my 60s. But I did raise her two children, and I gave them back to her when she was they were four and eight. And so, again, I have a beautiful AA baby. Her name is Adrian Anita. I named her after AA because without AA, she would have never been around. And now she turned to be a Muslim about 15 years ago. And she wears the shroud, and she covers her beautiful face. And she comes down to Queens about twice a year to get her meats. And we both walked into an AMP. I had a black hat on, a black coat. She has all this shroud and her face covered. And the cashier says, oh, it's a stick-up. It's a stick-up. <laughs> and I got hysterical. And I went to the floor of the AMP. I was so hysterical. And coming back on the subway, she says, Mother. Are you accepting me as a Muslim? I said, listen, let me tell you something. You can join Hudism, Buddhism. I really don't care whose ism, as long as it helps you be a better person. I am through raising my children. I'm not raising children anymore. I have 12 grandchildren that I see by appointment only. And I want you to believe that. Believe that. I'm not saying I'm going to And God has allowed me to see... A new, a little great grand that's four years old. Never did I dream in the wildest dream that you can live this good life. You know, it gets so good, you gotta watch it. And when it gets that good, you gotta watch it, cause some of us don't know how to handle good. We blow it every time. When I spoke in Minnesota a few years ago, I loved their theme. Attitude plus gratitude equals my recovery. I run around every day like a pure nut, looking at all the things I have to be grateful for. And I'm the gal that will tell you no pain, no gain, no fight, no victory. One of my friends came out from work with a pocket full of money, and the guy says, stick him up. He said, man, don't you see I got a disease? And the guy ran from him. He said, Liz, he didn't even wait for me to tell him I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> And I, and I cracked up on that one, too, you know, because I remember, what am I going to tell my friends when they ask me to have a drink? He said, tell them that you have a disease. I said, like hell, I'm walking around telling people I got a disease. And I looked it up in my dictionary, and it means dis at ease with oneself. I readily tell you I have the disease of alcoholism. I had a heart attack, and I was cut from ear to ear. Two glands was taken from my throat. And I want to say this to you. I said to God, if you're through with me speaking, it's going to be okay. Is he through with me? No. He brought me back so powerful. And when you go on this spiritual search of hunger for the truth and for the word, you have to watch that too. 
Because some of the good Christians want to pull you out of AA, telling you you're cured. I will never be cured. The progression of alcoholism is still going on inside of me. And back in New York, when they see me walk into a meeting, what are you doing here? I said, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, you make meetings? I said, to keep what I have, I have to make meetings. I cannot afford to let you chase me out of AA. And back in New York, they do try to chase me out. They tell me I intimidate them. I said, I never heard that word. What does it mean? Because we didn't talk to each other like that. Dysfunctional? What does that mean? I came from a broken up home. I don't know what dysfunctional is. You know, I don't know all that stuff. I'm learning. And and I have a a hard time being in AA today. Please don't let my 40 years turn you away from me. Because people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And I need you. I need you. I don't want to do this alone. I don't want to live alone. I don't have to be alone. Because I love you. And don't let my 40 years annoy you. Because I'm doing it just like you are, one day at a time. That's how I'm doing it. After having my heart attack, I came back and I sat in the corner of my living room. And this is where I got my answer and the key to my life. And that is to seek God first and his kingdom and his righteousness for all things to be added unto me. And I get up now and I say, good morning, God, instead of, oh, God, it's another morning. I used to hate to see another day come. I've had one sick bout in 20 years. And I'm not blaming this on Al-Anon, but I did go to an Al-Anon anniversary. And I ate some chocolate mousse. And I didn't realize if you got stones, don't eat that mousse. And that moose put me in the hospital three years ago. And I, they took me from one hospital to another. They put me to sleep, put light down my throat, and the stones turned to gravel and sand. So when and you hear in AA, this too shall pass, they passed. <laughs> and that's the only sickness that I've had in 20 years, because it is good morning, God. Turn my life and my will over to him each and every day. I would beg all the new people that are here, pass it on, give it away to keep it, give it away to receive the blessings, because I have received so many blessings. And one of the greatest blessings is to be here in Florida with you and all my beautiful friends from 20 and 30 years ago are sitting here with me today. Do you know how mind-blowing that is? Totally mind-blowing. And I love you. I've always loved you. And I love all of you. I certainly do, because it's your love and your hugs that have saved me. I thank God that you loved me until I could love myself. Yes, you did. And that's what it's all about. And back in New York, it's cold. I beg them in New York, don't let AA get cold. And I'll beg, and here it's not cold. I've never had so many hugs and stars since I'm sober. So I thank you for this love and the stars that you presented with me today, this weekend. If I... Liz Bailey. Like my daughter says, there she goes to save the world. I'm not looking to save the world. My primary purpose is to stay sober. And I hope this afternoon, with every fiber that's in me, because I didn't eat before I came here. I leave my body empty. 
And I told a joke back here in the institutional room. I'll tell it to you and I'll shut up. I was on the plane with Ben Michelson going to Vermont. And Ben says to me, you don't eat before you speak? I said, no, Ben, I don't do good if I eat. The words don't come out and I have a tough time with myself. I've even had to learn how to dress since I've been in AA. And because uh, I wasn't dressing right, I dressed like I came off the bar stool. And Father Kelly sent me a message, asked abroad what she's doing in AA. So I learned how to dress differently in AA. But on this plane going to Vermont, he asked me, and I said, no, I don't eat. And he says, oh, you remind me of the priest. I said, like what? Father, you're not going to eat those roast beef and that mashed potatoes and stuff? Father said, no, I don't do a good job if I eat. Father got up and spoke, and he sat down. He said, how did I do? He said, I think you should have ate. So don't you all tell me that. (laughs) Tell me that. So here again, if I, Liz Bailey, can just reach one of you in this auditorium this afternoon, then I, Liz Bailey, I have not lived in vain. Thank you so much. (laughs) 